Well, the thought of your first job probably brings back some special memories. Uh, mine, like Alan's, was a paper route, and um, uh, my hometown newspaper was just a weekly, so I didn't have to do it every day. The only problem was when I got the job, I had to create the route. They didn't have a route. They just said, if you want a paper route, you create it, which meant I went door to door asking people if they wanted to uh, take the paper. I made a nickel for every paper that I delivered once a week, so I knew it wasn't one of those jobs I could you know, get rich on very soon or take care of, and I'd need a promotion down the road, but I wouldn't trade all that I learned from working with people and going door to door, uh, developing that, uh, that paper out. In this part of the story today, Daniel gets a promotion. Uh, things really turn around, and, uh, and we think of it being really good, but there are some things about it that maybe weren't so good. And in case you, you, you missed the last couple weeks, let me bring you up to speed real quickly about what's going on here. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon went from being terribly despondent with a vengeance to kill, to being euphoric, lavishing generosity on Daniel and his friends. Now, what was it that turned him around? Well, he'd had this dream that uh, was, was terribly disturbing to him, and when he asked all of his wise men uh, about the dream, he, he made this requirement. He said, I don't want you to just interpret the dream. You tell me what the dream was and then interpret it. And of course, nobody could do that. And so Daniel and his friends prayed all night, and God revealed the dream to Daniel. And Daniel went very humbly before the king, related the dream and its interpretation, and he said, Your Majesty, nobody can, no human being can do what you've asked to do, but there is a God in heaven who reveals this to the king. Well, Nebuchadnezzar was just overwhelmed. And that's where we pick up the story now in Daniel chapter 2, verse 46. Let's read. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell face down on the ground in front of Daniel. The king honored him and commanded that an offering and incense be presented to him. Then the king said to Daniel, Truly, I know your God is the greatest of all gods, the Lord of all the kings. He tells people about things they cannot know. I know this is true because you were able to tell these things, secret things to me. Then the king gave Daniel many gifts, plus an important position in his kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar made him ruler over the whole area of Babylon and put him in charge of all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel asked the king to make Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego leaders over the area of Babylon. So the king did as Daniel asked. Daniel himself became one of the people who stayed at the royal court. Wow. You talk about a Kodak moment. This is a Kodak moment. Here is the greatest king in the world at that time, the most powerful ruler on the face of the earth at that time, a man who is incredibly full of himself, a man who has no fear in using whatever terroristic means are at his disposal to subdue nations and to kill his enemy, and he is suddenly face down at the feet of a Hebrew slave. This is an image that's just hard to imagine. And knowing Daniel's humility, this would have been a very awkward moment for Daniel as well. However, it was also a very pivotal moment for Daniel as well. From here on out in his life, everything changes. People look at change uh, from a whole lot of different perspectives. Some people think of change as being all bad. Some people think of change as being all good. Seldom is it that way. Most of the time, a change comes along and has both good and bad sides to it. Let, let me see if I can illustrate it this way. You're single, and, and there's a lot of good things about being single, but you, but you want a companion. 
And, uh, and so finally you find the love of your life and you get married, and marriage is a wonderful change. But suddenly you discover that now you're sharing the bathroom, now you're sharing the closet, now you're sharing the kitchen, now you're sharing the utensils, now you're sharing the car, and, you can't, and you're sharing your time. You can't just pick up and go and do like you used to because there's somebody else's opinions and perspectives and likes and dislikes that you have to coordinate with. Being married is a wonderful thing, but it creates changes, and some of those changes for a young couple can be difficult. Having a baby is a wonderful change, but then come sleepless nights and bottles to fill and wash and diapers by the hundreds, school fees and clothes and shoes and books and sports and medical bills, anxiety with their driver's license, college tuitions, weddings to pay for, the list is endless. You, you, you wouldn't trade being a parent for anything, but it brings some changes, and some of those changes are kind of hard. The empty nest is a wonderful change that comes with the passing of years. There's more flexibility in the schedule, less pressure in the home environment. You can eat when you want to eat. You can eat what you want to eat. You become a grandparent, which is the best gig in the whole world. But with the change of the passing of years come other changes that are not so good. You have aches and pains in places that you didn't know you had. You don't see or hear quite as well as you used to. And you end up in rooms and can't figure out why you're in those rooms. Change is neither all good nor all bad. There's usually a mixture of that, and in the aging process, we get that. So why can't we take that that we understand and apply it to other areas of life, say, a promotion in the workplace? We all think that if I can just get promoted to that next level, everything is going to be great. But I want to tell you, be careful what you work for, hope for, and pray for, because sometimes, even with a promotion, there are changes that you don't like or anticipate. Let's take a look at Daniel's experience and see what we can learn for ourselves. Here's the first thing I want you to remember, and that is simply this. A pedestal is a really small place to stand. Daniel goes from being a young Hebrew captive on death row to a national hero in a matter of hours. He is literally an overnight success. They go to bed the night before uh, the, the, the wise men of Babylon do, expecting their deaths the next morning, but because Daniel prays all through the night, he gets the answer from God, and, and everything changes dramatically overnight. Nebuchadnezzar sees Daniel in a whole new light. This is not some foreign teenager anymore. This is a guy who's worthy of national honor. Not only is the king bowing in his presence, but the king is also commanded that he be presented with offerings and incense. Now, that sounds a whole lot like worship, I know. And I suspect that since Daniel doesn't object here, that really what's happening is the king is trying to honor Daniel's God. But Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know Daniel's God. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know how to worship Daniel's God. He's come to the conclusion that he's a powerful God, one of many powerful gods, maybe the most powerful of all the gods in the earth, but he doesn't know who he is. And so he, he honors Daniel's God by honoring God's messenger, Daniel himself. And, and so I think that, uh, I think this is what is happening in this context here. Now, don't get the idea that Nebuchadnezzar soon, suddenly abandons all of his paganism and starts worshiping only one God. That's not the truth. He just adds this God to the list. As a matter of fact, when we get to chapter 3, we'll discover that Nebuchadnezzar is still struggling really big time about what is worship and who gets to be worshiped. So that's next week. Once elevated, though, you don't have a lot of wiggle room to keep your standing. 
When you've been placed on a proverbial pedestal, everyone can see you more clearly. And they watch not so much to see what they can learn about you, they watch to see how quickly you'll fall. And they'll cheer when you fall, because you see, if you fall, then the pedestal is available again, and they may be up next. When your team is ranked number one, everybody's out to knock you from that ranking. When you've been placed on a pedestal, your level of responsibility increases. Your life is no longer so private. When Joe Q. Public messes up, it probably won't make the evening news. But let somebody who's on a pedestal, somebody with a little bit of fame or control stumble and fall, and the tabloids rush in like buzzards over a rotting carcass. As your influence increases, your privacy decreases. And as I study through the book of Daniel, I become ever more impressed with Daniel's ability that while everybody else elevated him, he kept his feet firmly grounded. Daniel was always the same man. He never saw himself differently. His humility is one of the most endearing qualities of his life. May I suggest to you this morning that when you're promoted, when, when, when you get a bonus, when something good happens to you at work, that humility may be the greatest safeguard, the most important safeguard to keep you grounded. I don't know who first said it, but it's true. Pride is the only disease known to humanity that makes everybody else sick except the one who has it. I also like what Jerry Vines wrote. A defeat that leaves you humble is better than a victory that leaves you proud. And, and, and how do you achieve this attitude? <laughs> well, here's a good lesson. You pet a dog, and you know what that dog does. That dog wags its tail, looks up at you, and that dog thinks you're God. Pet a cat. <laughs> and the cat thinks it's God. It's a difference in attitude. God calls us to look to Him as the one who deserves all of the praise. That's why I'm not a cat person, all right? We want to give the honor to God because we know it's not by our ability or our talents. It's by God's grace that the good things come along and happen. So, Daniel got a promotion. How do we handle a promotion when it happens in our life? Well, first of all, accept the promotion. Daniel was humble, but he was not filled with false humility. You know what false humility is, don't you? I mean, that's the person that says, oh, no, no, I, you know, I, no, no. And, 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 and so they, they're offered uh, a new job, and the, and the person with false humility says, no, I can't handle that. Inside, they're saying, oh, yeah, I can't wait to take, oh, no, I, I can't do that. Daniel didn't do that. There was no false humility. He accepted the position to which the king placed him and entrusted all that responsibility to him. I think Daniel knew God is at work here. I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I believe God will put me in this position for God's purpose and glory. Remember, folks, when the, when the nation of Judea was destroyed and, and the captives were brought in to the land of Babylon, that God had promised that they would go back, that there would be a remnant that would go back with Daniel in such a high position it might just preserve the Jewish nation to go back and to rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the temple and get the land ready for when the Savior would come. Isn't that what God did through Joseph when Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dream? Put him at the very second position of Egypt, and by doing so, it saved his family and God's promise made to Abraham. I, I, I'm here to tell you, 
When the opportunity is placed before you, seize the moment. Accept the promotion or the bonus or whatever it is that, it, it, that you've been asked to step up to, that new responsibility, because this may be God setting about to work in your life, even though you can't see it at the moment. And, and when that happens, here's some things to keep in mind. Make the necessary changes. Do what it takes to be the best you can be at your new position. If it requires more education, study hard. If you have to have additional training, get a good mentor. If you have to get a license to do what you're about to do, then make sure you're prepared and you take it seriously. The boss has seen capacity in you. Now you be worthy of his or her trust. By the way, if you, if you take this new role and, and, and treat it in a, in a mediocre fashion, if you don't consider it to be very serious, it's not just a bad reflection on you, it's a bad reflection on who you claim to be, a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not much of a leap from people who see a mediocre Christian to think of your Savior as being mediocre. So do your best. Make all the necessary changes. Remember, regardless of where you work or for whom you work or who it is that signs your paycheck, you're really working for God, and you're lifting up your everyday work as an act of worship before the king. Now, first thing, don't, you know, make, make every change that you can. Number two, don't, don't ever change, okay? And I know you're thinking, you just said make all the changes. Yes, change your skill level, change your preparation, change your approach, but don't ever change who you are. You remain the same consistent, gracious person that you've always been. Act natural around the folks that you've worked with. Don't keep talking about your promotion. Treat your coworkers with the same grace as always. It is your character that should shape your actions. Not your new title, not your new office, not your new company car. Your responsibility may change, but your reputation should not. So you, you stay the same person, okay? Don't you change. And, but, but remember this. While you may not change, everybody else around you will. I don't know why it's this way, but it so often happens that when you are promoted and others that you've been friends with aren't, your relationship changes in dramatic ways. Now, to be true, some will be genuinely proud and happy for you when you get that promotion. That would be your mother. Okay. Some will be surprised that you got that promotion. That, that, that would probably be your dad. Um, some will be resentful and jealous. They will seek to undermine you at every opportunity because what you've received or what you've earned, they believe rightly belongs to them. Such was the case with Daniel and his friends. You don't see it in chapter 2, but from here on out, you will see the undercurrent begin to work to topple them from these positions in which they've been placed. And when you have been promoted, be careful. There will be people who weren't friends with you before who will now suddenly want to be your friend. But, I, but I'm here to tell you, if they didn't like you when you were in this position, they probably don't like you when you're in this position just because it's not about you, it's about what you can do for them. Be very careful about the people who come alongside of you who act very nice to your face, but who are only using you to get ahead. Stick with the people who loved you at every point in your life, those you can trust. And then do some learning before you start leading, okay? 
Uh, it will be tempting to start shouting orders and appearing like you're the one in control, but don't do that. Learn everything you can about the job before you actually start leading in that job so you can do a good job. Uh, do you know uh, the, the kind of person when, when <laughs> I know we've all run across these kind of people, you ask them a question and you know immediately they don't know the answer, but they will not admit they don't know the answer. And they start spinning and, and telling all kinds of things as if they do know the answer. And, and you know good and well that's not the answer. Now, I suppose we've all done that to a certain degree at some point in our life, but when you do it all the time and you're a manager or a supervisor or a boss or somebody like that, you lose credibility. Nobody can trust you when you can't be honest enough to say, you know, I don't have an answer to that, but we'll find out. We'll look. We'll, we'll study together. We'll, we'll do this as a team. And speaking of team, take the team with you, the people that you've worked with, the people that have helped you achieve what you've achieved. Take them with you when, when you go. Don't, don't leave them behind. Give them opportunities uh, in the future. When Daniel was elevated to this high position over all of Babylon, and he knew he was going to have to have people that he would delegate responsibility to, he didn't want the astrologers and the sorcerers. He wanted men who shared the same faith and trust and relationship with God. And so he asked the king, he said, would you, would you appoint Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, as, uh, as directors in, in other areas? And they did. Because you see, nobody has all the good ideas. We talked about this last week. Nobody has all the answers. Nobody has all the solutions. So take your team with you. Daniel went from being the new foreign kid on the block to a teenager with wealth, fame, and control. That's hard to handle, but he handled it well. Solomon didn't. Solomon became king, asked for wisdom, and God says, because you've asked so wisely, I will give you wealth and fame and all these other things. And it very nearly destroyed Solomon if in fact it didn't. Some theologians believe that it destroyed and cost him his soul. You be careful. Stay well grounded. Keep both feet on the ground. Thomas Carlyle wrote, he said, adversity is hard on a man, but for everyone who can handle prosperity, there are a hundred that can handle adversity. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, I can show you a hundred people that can handle the tough times, but I can only show you one who can handle a promotion, the good times, the prosperity. Just take a look at the history of lottery winners. There are few lottery winners who end up being better after winning. Well, here's the flip side of the coin, and that is simply this. How, how do you handle someone else's promotion? When you're not the one that gets promoted, how do you handle it? Okay? I look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I think they could have been really resentful uh, of Daniel. I mean, after all, they'd prayed all night long. They'd gone through the same diet that Daniel had gone through. They loved the same God that Daniel did, and yet they don't get the top position. They get subordinate positions. It's, it was a promotion, but they're not at the top, and they could have been saying, why weren't we given positions just like Daniel? This is not fair. Well, I'm telling you, folks, that's life. Not, not everybody gets equal treatment. Not everybody gets the top position and you may be thinking, yeah, but I really deserve that promotion. I really need that promotion. I've got a menial, unimportant job. How can I get anywhere? How can I glorify God with this unimportant job? Really? Is there such a thing as an unimportant job? Or is it that you're not looking at your job through the right perspective? Can I remind you of our Lord, 
who lived 33 years in this world, but didn't start his ministry until he was 30. And if we take history to be what it normally is in the Jewish culture, he would have become an apprentice about the age of 12. His earthly father was a carpenter, which was just one rung up from the lowest on the social economic status in that day and time. A shepherd was at a bottom. The carpenter was the next one up. So this was a menial job. This was a lowly job at that day and time. Not talking about today, talking about at that day and time. But if we assume that history is right and that Jesus would have started his apprenticeship at 12 and he didn't start his earthly ministry until he was 30, that means he probably worked as a carpenter for 18 years, six times as long as he went through his earthly ministry. Do you, do you realize that while we, we focus on the wooden cross that he carried, have you ever thought about the wooden plow that he carved or, or, or the wooden ox yoke that he fashioned to fit the shoulders of, of, of a team of oxen? Jesus worked, I think, for a long time in a very simple, menial job to say all work can glorify God and God can use all work and all workers. It's your values that matter, not the high or lowness of your job. And so when you get passed over, when somebody else gets the promotion that you think you deserve, remember this, be ethical. Do nothing that you would be embarrassed for the Lord to see if he were watching over your shoulder because he is. Be ethical. Number two, be, be responsible. You've been given new responsibility. Rise to the occasion. Your employer is paying you. Make that pay worthy by giving him a good return for his investment. Let the ethics of your faith shine through your responsibility. Stuart Briscoe, once asked a young man, he said, what do you do? And he replied, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, of very skillfully disguised as a machine operator. I really like that response. What if all of us said that? What do you do? Well, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm just disguised as a preacher, disguised as a teacher, disguised as a bus driver, disguised as a whatever you are. What, what if that's how we felt? Because that would make us the most responsible if we saw our responsibility to God first. Here's another thing. Be loyal. Be the kind of person others can count on. Don't talk about the boss behind her back. Don't join in the idle gossip with coworkers about fellow employees. Don't use your role to manipulate others for your own benefit. Don't step on anybody else trying to climb the corporate ladder. Don't be jealous when good things happen to other people. You be the one who has the reputation of being the wise ear. You be the one at your job, in your home, in your extended family, at your school, who if somebody has a problem, they say, I'm going to go see her, I'm going to go see him, because I trust them to be confidential and give me wise advice. Be loyal. Be content. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 says, 6 says this, the fool folds his hands and ruins himself. In other words, the fool just stops working. He just folds his hands and ruins himself. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and a chasing after the wind. The Hebrew word there is quietness. One handful of quietness is better than two fistfuls of clawing, scraping, striving, shoving, and struggling to get all the way to the top. Less with contentment is better than more with strife. And here's the last thing I want you to remember this morning, and that is always trust God to give you the ability to handle whatever comes your way. 
Ecclesiastes 11.5 says, As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in the mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. It's true. When you are in the moment, you cannot see how God is at work. It's only usually when you get down the road and you look back that you can see how God put all the pieces of the puzzle together. Daniel, faith, Daniel faithfully followed God throughout his life. And at the moment, I'm sure Daniel never quite knew what God was up to until he got down the road and looked back at what God had been doing all of his life. What I want you to understand is this. When you cannot see God at work, he's at work. And God can be trusted in any and all situations to take whatever's going on in your life and make the most of it. I learned that again yesterday. I was reminded of it powerfully again yesterday for me, for me personally. Uh, last fall, I told you that when we were in the midst of our 50th anniversary year and we were in the challenge of paying off our church's indebtedness so that we could go out and, 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 and do ministry things that we can't now because of that, that, that mortgage, that what Elsie and I decided to do, we were going to sell the 48 Chrysler that I uh, had worked on getting restored with uh, so many good people to, to help do that kind of thing. And we were going to use that to pay part of our pledge, the, the sale of that car. Well, I've, I've, been ha I've had it for sale ever since that time, and, and it finally has sold, and uh, it's, it's headed to a guy in Belgium. Um, uh, it, it's amazing that that, that that story in itself is amazing that, that the car is going all the way uh, to Belgium. I've been real excited about it. I've been pumped up about it uh, and, and happy about it uh, until yesterday when the um, moving truck came down the street. There was just some, when, when that truck pulled down the street, there was just something that triggered inside of me and and I thought, okay, and then the, then the car, we got it ready, you know, to load on the back, and I watched all this, taking pictures as I'm going along the way here. Um, we got the next picture that we can show, there the, there the car is ready to go, and, and uh, then uh, one of the transport guys climbs in, you know, I, dr I had driven it up there, and he gets in and drives it up onto the ramp in the, in the truck, and I'm watching and taking pictures, and, and then you can show us the next picture. And then after they loaded it, they unloaded the uh, new Aston Martin that I had ordered. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just teasing <laughs> but that, that was pretty cool that uh, that Aston Martin sitting up there on top of uh, of the rack and I was having one of those what I would call a a lump in the throat moment okay and uh, one of the young men who had a real strong eastern European accent which I thought I recognized who he, he was one of the the, the transporters and he said why are you selling this car and I, I said to him, well, I'm a minister, and, this, and I went through the whole story, told him the whole thing. And he said, my brother's a preacher in Siberia. I said, Siberia? I said, where are you from? And he kind of looked down and he said, Belarus. And I said, I've been to Belarus. I've taught in Belarus. And he lightened up and brightened. He said, You've been to Belarus? I said, I sure have. He said, well, I live in Columbus now. He said, I'm a Christian. I go to a church. He said, our building is seven years old. We're about to pay off the debt. He said, we're so excited about it. And I said, that's what we're working for. And we're going to get there. And, uh, and by the time the truck pulled out of the subdivision, I'd kind of forgotten about the car. I was just so pumped up about spending time with a young man that I'd been to his country. And his brother was a pastor. We shared this in common with the churches where we were, and I shook Peter's hand when it was all over, and I said, the next time you're through Bloomington, stop and worship with us, Peter. And I, and I walked back to the, into the house, and, and I thought, God, who but you 
could have taken a young man who grew up in Belarus, now lives in Columbus, Ohio, works for a transport company in the state of Washington that's been hired by a Dutch transport company to get this car all the way across the ocean, who loves the Lord, who understands why this is what it should be, and came to encourage me on the day when I said so long to this chapter in my life. That's the kind of God we serve, who's in the details, even the little things matter to him. I couldn't have orchestrated that in a thousand years, but God can lead us in paths where he wants us to, to people he wants us to, give us promotions when we need it, take us through the adversity times when we are heartbroken. That's the God we serve. The God of Daniel is the God that we serve. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and no matter what you're going through, he'll get you through it if you'll let him lead the way.